Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Grodi for this, the host of this program brought to you by the Coming Home Network International. We're here at our studios and uh, it's a pleasure that, to gather with you today. Thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, before we begin, just a couple reminders. <clears throat> uh, you can go to the website deepinscripture.com. We'll connect with all the archives of all the old Deep in Scripture programs. But maybe most importantly, we'd love to hear from you. <clears throat> So send us a question if you have a questions at deepinscripture.com. We try, especially in what we're calling this, our program in between, to address some of your questions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but we're brought to you by the Coming Home Network International. And if you want to find out more about our, our work, you can go to chnetwork.org or you can go to CH Network at the, our Facebook page or Twitter at CH Network. And today I'm joined by my uh, compatriot, Jim Anderson. Hello, Jim. Good afternoon, everybody. That's good How for are you. Doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And Jim, thank you for joining us. Uh, we call this our program in between because uh, on the alternate weeks, we'll have a, another guest join us. And then in the in between, Jim joins me. We talk about some of your emails and maybe some questions some scripture that you and I have come up with in the meantime. This particular series of deep in scripture programs we're calling hard verses. <clears throat> and what we mean by that is that there are verses which we might presume easy to understand, easy to interpret, but then there are others that seem to need a little extra work, a little ex extra explanation. And sometimes, depending on what Christian tradition we're coming from, some verses just don't fit our theology, and we're not sure what to do with them. And uh, so I thought we'd begin today in the time we have together. I'm going to start, Jim, with a verse that at one point was very important to me. And in fact, I considered it maybe the most important scripture to me. And so it seemed absolutely clear and uh, a guidance to life. But in time, the more I grew in my faith and the more I started to recognize uh, some of the problems of the Christian tradition that I was a part of, that verse became more difficult all along. And so, Jim, I'd like to share that, and then you and I can talk about it. All righty. And that verse is Proverbs chapter 3, uh, particularly verses 5 and 6, but I'll also add into it verse 7. And uh, let me read it first. Let me tell you about my background on this particular scripture. And it's a familiar verse to so many Christians. Uh, the Revised Standard says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And then if I had verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, as I mentioned, this verse meant a lot to me, Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, I was brought up Lutheran and pretty nominal. And then in college, had completely rejected my faith not so much as an atheist, but more as an agnostic. I was very caught up in scientific materialism, thought I could explain everything through science. And then in that summer, between my junior and senior year, I had a born again awakening of my faith, became very committed, and a, uh, a very fine congregationalist pastor uh, through his preaching and teaching and then through his pastoral care brought me back to faith. And I'm eternally grateful to Father Tom, <clears throat> who's now passed away recently. Father Tom? Uh, Reverend Tom Witzel, excuse me, he was congregationalist. 
And after my reawakening of faith is basically, I said, okay, now what do I do? Because I, I discovered Jesus Christ. I, I saw the, the beauty of scripture, Bible study. Now I wanted to study scripture every day. And I asked him, what, what now? And he, he said, he pointed this verse out to me and he says, I want you to memorize this and I want you to live it out. Live this verse out. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I memorized it. And now here I am a gazillion years later and that verse still is how I understand how we should follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And, and I've always believed that to be true. And, and the simplest understanding of that verse is that to the extent that we surrender our lives to him and trust him, not <clears throat> relying on our own insight, in other words, recognizing we could be wrong, recognizing there are things in our life that can blind us to what God is trying to say to us, or even uh, preventing us from fully trusting in God, that our goal is in everything we do, somehow either words or actions point to him, not ourselves, or even to our friends and the other people in our life, but really to acknowledge him in, in our lives, then we can move forward trusting that he's gonna make our paths straight. Now, not necessarily straight the way an arrow flies, but straight to him. And even in the, in the, well, I'll get to it later how I've come to understand it. But first, before I ex express how or why it became hard, Jim, for you, was this a familiar verse to you in your early of days it, of Christianity? I knew of it, but it wasn't a guiding factor in my life like it was yours. Well, I mean, it became for me the verse. And, but here's how it became hard. And Jim, you talk about this too, because you and I come from background of different traditions. I have more of a Lutheran, charismatic, congregationalist, strong Calvinist background, and yours is more Lutheran, Methodist. Methodist, then Lutheran, then charismatic, then Catholic. Okay, you just it's have, kind of. <laughs> you didn't have that every once in a while. You didn't have that Calvinistic uh, line that I. No, I never had through seminary. And the only my, thing I uh, growing up that I knew of Calvin is is that they said debtors and we said trespasses. Oh, that's, that's pretty significant too, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is why this verse became hard and harder and harder for me. As I began as a pastor, first in seminary and then as a pastor, I love Jesus Christ by the mercy of God, by his grace. And I knew by grace, my call to continually surrender deeper to him and to seek to follow him. And I, I believe that he was guiding my life. In fact, very early on, I even gave up the desire of asking, what do I want to do with my life? It was always, what do you want me to do, Lord? To the point where I couldn't even answer the question, what I would want to do. It's, what do you want to do, Lord? And it was by grace. Which, and I, to, people, which to people in the outside world think that, probably thought that you were rudderless that you were just drifting. Yeah, exactly. It, it, very, very true, especially my father. I didn't have a clue about my life. Um, <clears throat> but I believe that he was making my path straight, that he was guiding me in his direction. I believe that. 
But what began to change, it began in seminary and then when I became ordained and then I became a pastor, is another scripture which reminded me that, that as a pastor and a teacher, I was responsible to the people to whom I taught. Uh, there's a scripture that says we're doubly responsible if, we're, if we have the audacity to want to be a teacher. But I recognize that there, I was surrounded by other faithful Christians who love scripture, but we, we couldn't agree on anything. Whether it came to baptism or, or the Lord's Supper or ordination or the importance of the church or what the gospel was or what was necessary for salvation. But I think particularly for me, and this is where you and I might differ as a Calvinist, I also believed in once saved, always saved. That once I accepted Christ as my savior and had surrendered to him, then I was saved. And to a certain extent, it didn't matter how I lived my life from then on, <clears throat> that I was saved. And I should live a holy life out of gratitude, but, but, but the, but the, intricacy of how I lived my life didn't affect my salvation, because that was yeah. my grace. Yeah. And coming from a, um Arminian Wesleyan background, that was alien to me. Yeah, you were the opposite. The, uh, and even a Lutheran, uh, Lutherans taught that uh, as long as you believed you were saved, but if you lost your faith, you could be damned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do remember a short period of time although at the time I didn't realize it was Calvinism that was being fed to me, uh, but from reading um, um, Hal Lindsey's books, yes. I picked up some Calvinism there, but I didn't know what, that it was because it was just part of the, the weave of his theology that he just assumed it. And yeah. yeah, which was mixed up with a lot of other things too, including this is true. the this rapture is true. And, and the imminent end of the world, which was supposed to have happened uh, 20 or 30 years ago, which didn't happen. Yeah, right. So I, I have, well, I used to have all the charts. I think I threw them out. <laughs> but when, as I looked at this verse, I began to realize that depending on whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or a Lutheran or a Pentecostal, Church of Christ, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, Catholic, Episcopalian, as I began to understand other faiths and I began to compare other faiths because I, as a pastor, I wondered whether I should remain a Presbyterian. And I began looking at this verse, which meant so much to me. So in the midst of the confusion that I was seeing amongst Protestants, mm -hmm. and I was assuming that the problem was me, it can't be the Bible. I began falling back on this verse, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. I began recognizing that we all had different understandings of what it meant to trust in the Lord. How do we right. trust in the Lord with all of our heart? What does that mean? To what extent have we let go? Um, and, you know, Catholics and spiritual, the spiritual teaching of the Catholic Church, spirituality of, of the different churches had a different understanding of whether we need to grow in grace or not, or to what extent virtues or vices and what does it mean to trust uh, when we're facing a job decision or a marital decision or all these kinds? You know, to what extent do we just let go? Or in the second verse, do not rely on your own insight. Now, <clears throat> I understood scripture, sola scriptura, which meant that by the Holy Spirit, the meaning of scripture, I was to understand through private interpretation. 
mm-hmm. that the Spirit would guide me as I read and studied so that when I got into the, the pulpit, what I proclaimed was true. I didn't yeah. mean I was infallible, but that the Bible was infallible and that I believed that the Spirit would lead me in my studies. And but, in the hard places, Scripture would interpret Scripture. There we go. We would find another verse. But this verse is saying, do not rely on your own insight. Well, wait, there's a disconnect here. Because right. when I came up with a conclusion and you came up with a different one as a Methodist and the other pastor down the street came up with a different because he was a Lutheran and the other pastor across the way came up to a Baptist conclusion, the Assembly of God, the Seventh-day Adventist two blocks away or the, the non-instrumental Church of Christ down the road or the Pentecostal, we all came up My with different inclusions. My town has both kinds, instrumental and non-instrumental. They don't talk to each other. So you don't rely on your own insight. So how can you, it's like you have to give up completely on being able to understand scripture. Who do I listen to? Do I listen to your insight? Well, Mm -hmm. in other words, how do I understand that? How do I apply that in my life? In all your ways, acknowledge him. I knew people that were justifying everything they do because they were doing it in the name of the Lord. They believed that I'm doing this for the sake of God. It's for him as if, as if the, uh, you know, you had the right idea in mind. I was sincere. I may have been completely wrong, but all that man, I was doing it for the Lord or that I choose to do so as long as I do it for the kingdom. Pardon Jim. I can lie, cheat and steal as long as I do it for the kingdom. (laughs) In, In all your ways, acknowledge him. How do you know? whether you're doing it that way. You see, I think early on when I I claimed this verse as my life verse and I lived it out, it's not that I was so wrong in the way I was doing it, but I was blind to the fact that every meaning of every line in this verse was a reflection of how I understood it, Mm -hmm. dependent on the, the baggage I brought with me from all the different theologies I had, as you were talking about Hal Lindsey. You know, he, had, he was eclectic right. in its theologies that he brought together to feed his end times rapture understanding. Well, that was completely opposite the way I understood scripture and probably mostly you too. Yeah. And then he made my path straight. You know, <clears throat> if my life is moving in a direction, do I assume that's the direction God wants me to go? Do I assume that's his will? Uh, what if things aren't going well? Do I just say, well, that's of the Lord or do I need to change? You see, there's lots of, of issues involved with interpreting a simple verse like this that has to do with your understanding of morality, your understanding of conscience, your understanding of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the understanding of the indwelling of Christ, the understanding of being free from sin, being guided by grace, the understanding of listening to an authority over you, or are you your own authority? And then if he added verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes, I agree with that. But uh, does that mean that I have to distrust everything, every conclusion I come up with? Or the second is fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Are we still supposed to fear the Lord? You know, so but my point is that a verse that seems simple on the surface, once you dig into it, and you look at it from all the different theological angles, it can come up with many, many interpretations. 
and guiding people in contrary directions. Yes, and especially if we do not have a teaching authority to guide us, it could easily for us become, we feel that we're fighting a futile battle, that uh, how, how do I know? How, how do I know what I am reading is what the Lord actually wants to say to me? And uh, from the Catholic understanding, we have guidance that we never had when you and I were Protestants. Exactly, and maybe the simplest way to say that is instead of just having the Bible in front of us and myself trying to interpret it, I have beside me the catechism mm -hmm. or the creed which sets boundaries so that if we're doing something and we're trying to understand, is this your will, Lord? Is this the way you're guiding me? Well, we have boundaries that are authoritative boundaries that help us understand. You know, if I'm married and my marriage isn't going too slick and I decide, you know, I'm, I've had it. I'm heading off in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And then I'm feeling really good about that decision. So I'm concluding, well, that's of the Lord. Right. That's what the Lord's telling me to do. And I, and I don't know if it's right, but I have this feeling that's where the, well, I have boundaries that God has guided his Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has guided the church to understand about marriage. And so in recognizing that when I became married through the sacrament of marriage, I became one with my wife. I'm married with her throughout my life. Even if I had the audacity to divorce her, she's still my wife. Right. And so I recognize those boundaries. And so if I'm being drawn into another direction, that's when I can start self-examining that that isn't the Lord guiding me, that's somebody else, the world, the flesh, or the devil. Right. You touched on something earlier that I think as Protestants, you and I both probably fell into. How I feel the Lord is leading me. Uh, it's kind of ironic because we were told uh, as Protestants that faith was not a feeling. But most of how we gauged how we were being, how we felt we were being guided by the Holy Spirit was all feelings. It was all subjective. And uh, there was very little objective truth that figured into the situation. You know, that's a good point you bring up, Jim, because it connects with our work uh, in the Coming Home Network. You know, our primary reason for existence as a ministry, an apostolate, is to help non-Catholic Christians discover the beauty of the Catholic Church. And we don't push, pull, or prod anybody in the church. Our goal is to stand beside and to prayer with the person and, and help people dis discover the beauty. And that's why we have our website. I hope you go to chnetwork.org if you haven't already done that, if you're listening to this program. But often we're dealing with non-Catholic clergy that are being drawn to consider the Catholic Church. And they've discovered the beauty of the history and the theology and the authority of the church and the liturgy and the Eucharist and the sacraments and, and they're drawn to it and they're trying to decide, should I leave my Protestant ministry to become Catholic? Mm -hmm. How do I discern what God's calling me to do? And when they look at a verse like this, well, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways, just give him the glory, acknowledge him and he'll guide you. But how do you discern that? Again, is it a feeling? And even when we ask people to consider the Catholic Church and the truth of the church and the fact that Christ established a church through which we receive the fullness and the graces 
for salvation. The, the point is we're not talking about what you're feeling. We're talking about, uh, you know, what's truth. And how do you understand what is true? And then the boundaries of the church that help us understand the necessity of the church and who Jesus Christ is, helps us understand what it means to trust in God, help us understand what the heart is, what our heart means, mm -hmm. and that it means our whole person, body, and soul, and that the fullness of ourselves is a surrender to Jesus Christ, and that we are to recognize that, yeah, by our own insight, we might be blinded to all the influences of our culture, of our background, of the theologies that we've been brought up since we were young that may be twisting the way we think about Christ and his church. But to believe that in terms of how God guides us, again, within the boundaries of discerning what our vocation is, whether he's called us to be married or celibate, whether he's called us to live a, a full life in the church or to live as a lay person. You know, these are things that the church can help us discern. We aren't left up to our own to discern whether the path that we're on is indeed the right path for us. And that is a very freeing situation to be in because it's no longer me. I can trust in the Lord that he is guiding his apostolic authority that he has put over me and protected through the power of the Holy Spirit for the last 2,000 years. And it's no longer subjective, it's objective. And it, what, it, what it might be is that the feelings are the, are the icing on the cake. Right. Uh, you know, we, we move forward because our trust is built on truth mm. and the teaching of the church. And then we, 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 we act, well, if you don't feel it right, well, but it's true. So that's the direction we're going to go. And, and maybe just in conclusion for this part, Jim, is, mm. you know, am I saying the verse, don't follow that verse anymore? I'm not saying that at all. It's still no. to this day. Uh, my favorite verse, I believe it to be very true, but, you know, put in the context of the rule of faith, the fullness of the church, so that we can understand exactly what the verse means and how we're called to follow him, then it's, it's a verse you should, a person should memorize and live out every day of their life. Right. And that's one of the things, as Catholics, we're trying to explain to our Protestant brothers and sisters is the whole concept of context. We as Protestants quite often, especially with our emphasis of sola scriptura, were trying to read the Bible, and we did it consistently out of context. And when we read it within the context intended by God, under the covering of the church that he established, then we are much more free, and we can trust in the interpretation that God has given us. Well, excellent, Jim. Let's uh, let's turn. I'm going to turn over to you now because you've picked out one of the emails we've received, and yes. I think the issue of context is is important to this, the verse that this emailer has brought to our attention. Yes, this comes from Michael. He says, uh, "I would like to offer a scripture passage that has given me problems interpreting Ezekiel twenty twenty five, and he thanks us for." all that we can do to help him with this, and he enjoys the show. Um, to put this in context, I'm going to read um, uh, Ezekiel 20, beginning with uh, the middle of verse 21 through 26. And let me add, just before you read it, Jim, yeah. I mean, in terms of context, we're talking about prophecy here. 
Right. It's this not is a, prophecy. it's not a historical book. It's a prophecy. And so now, just as we mentioned a little while earlier, you know, certain Christian traditions that are very much into prophecy, mm -hmm. uh, end times and rapture and all these other things. Well, now we have a prophecy. So the question is, how does this apply to us as Christians? Right. And what do we do with it? So go ahead, Jim. And remember, this is Ezekiel, but God's speaking through Ezekiel. So the person, the I here is God. Then I thought I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not executed my ordinances, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not have life. And I defiled them through their very gifts and making them offer by fire all their firstborn that I might horrify them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. You know, Jim, the first part of that is just a recounting Sorry. of the history of, of, you know, what happened, what mm -hmm. God said about their exodus and their rebellion and what were the, that would be fine until you got to verse 25. Right. Right. And verse 25 is a difficulty. How could the all good God who had called his people out of slavery in Egypt give his people uh, statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not have life? And that is Michael's difficulty. How could God give laws that were not good? Well, let me ask you, Jim, going back to your Methodist days, Lutheran days, mm. would you have had an answer for that from that Lutheran Methodist perspective? I think from my Lutheran and Methodist perspective, I would have been perplexed by this also. Yeah, I know I have in front of me a Revised Standard Version study Bible mm -hmm. that usually has a... a fairly significant uh, selection of notes in it to deal with passages. They didn't deal with this passage. <laughs> they left we it did to that the reader. We often with those hard passages, didn't we? It's like, oh, we didn't see that. But um, what the church has uh, said in regard to this is what Ezekiel, what God is saying through Ezekiel here is he's revert, referring basically to the legal code of the book of Deuteronomy, not to the legal code given at Mount Sinai. Uh, many people don't realize the word, even the word Deuteronomy means the second law. There were two law codes given to Moses, one at Sinai, which was given before the incident of uh, the golden calf. And then a generation later, Another law was given after the Israelites messed up again at Baal Peor, where they uh, fell into 
not only idolatry again, but immoral sexual idolatry. Uh, they really went off the rails. And he had warned the people of Israel um, that um, if they were not faithful to the law, they would be scattered among the nations if they, and by violating the law. And the second law, in some ways, by following it, in many instances, they're, they're violating the first law at Mount Sinai. Sections of the law at Mount Sinai said that uh, any clean animal that was um, slaughtered had to be brought to the temple or earlier the tabernacle and be slaughtered and its blood poured out and uh, basically it was a sacrifice. All animals. If you wanted steak for supper you had to do that then you took the carcass home and butchered it and cut it up. Uh, but in the second law, in the Deuteronomy, it said you didn't have to do that. Uh, you could slaughter the animal at home and then once a year take a representative animal to the tabernacle or later the temple. Maybe, and I was going to say, and maybe the, the most obvious example, uh, even our Lord points out, mm -hmm. and that is about the issue of divorce. Right. Where um, Jesus is being challenged about divorce and he points out that it was because of their hardness of heart that God gave a second law to Moses right. that allowed them to divorce, but that wasn't the way that it was in the beginning. It wasn't the way it was in the beginning, but in Deut uh, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, God, uh, well, actually, it doesn't really give permission to divorce. It says, when you divorce. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it's not an active statement, God saying, you can divorce your wife. It's saying, when you do it. So, these are the parameters. In other words, it's happening. It's and he's, happening. he's dealing with what has come happening. And, you know, the way that I, I understand this verse also, again, looking at from perspective now, when I was an evangelical I basically was in the flow of historical theology that had said that what the only thing that counts is the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ through our faith, in other words, through our heart, our relationship with Jesus Christ, but that the externals of the faith, the church, the rituals, the rites, even doctrines are not essential. I mean, certain doctrines, of, of course, were in terms of how we understood Christ and the Trinity, but, but the externals were not important. It was only the internals. But when I became Catholic, I recognized that they're both true. They're both absolutely right. true. But the reason as a, historically as an evangelical and a reform, the reason I had gotten to the position of emphasizing only the internals is because we are reacting against those whose lives were only the externals, which is part of the, what happened in the Reformation, is that so many of the Catholics during the time of Luther were into pilgrimages and the externals of the church, but through very poor catechesis, through poor experiences in the local church, they hadn't had 
uh, authentic conversion internally in faith in Christ, which is why Luther emphasized the faith side, but in the process, rejecting the externals. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that up, when I look at Ezekiel and we look at the trajectory of what had happened to the leadership of the Jewish church coming all the way from the beginning through Moses, through David, through Solomon, through all this time, through the time of the exile, leading to the time of Christ, that the leaders of the church had become solely committed to the externals of the church, living out the laws and every infinite um, uh, addition to the laws. So it's almost like the Lord just let loose, let them go and all their private interpretations, law upon law upon law upon law to the book, but they had lost the inside, which is why our Lord, when he addresses the leaders said, you guys are, are whitewashed tombs. Mm -hmm. It's only the outside and you're, you're empty on the inside, which is why his teaching was almost always to the laity who were struggling to have this internal relationship with God. And so he was open to teaching them the fullness of the faith. So uh, in answer to Michael's question about um, this passage in Ezekiel, God was not proactively giving bad laws. He was giving, how should I say it? The people's hearts were not in the Lord. So in order to kind of guide and keep them within certain parameters in their sins, he gave laws that, for lack of a better term, were second rate because they would not follow what he prescribed for them. He would give them something Plan B, you might say, yeah. but not like Plan B in Revela- in Romans that you talk about so often. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, he's still guiding them, he's drawing them, but he's recognizing they. As you look in the other, so much of the of the prophets are recognizing that the people are not hearing and they're not listening. Mm-hmm. They don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. Their their hearts were not ready, and uh, that's why. Um, Scripture even points out that the law was a guide, a tutor to the people of Israel to prepare it, them for the coming of the Messiah. For a and, time when, when Ezekiel would say in 10 chapters later that there would be a time when they're given, a, their heart would be converted. Mm-hmm. It would be changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. They would receive the Holy Spirit, there would be, they would receive the new covenant, all that was being promised. And he would write the law on their heart. And he's drawing them forward. All right, Jim, thanks a lot. Well, again, the point is we're pointing out hard verses and uh, left to yourself, what do you do with them? Most pastors just ignore them. Well, if it's the Holy Scripture inspired, what do you do in ignoring Scripture? (laughs) So the point is that when you encounter a hard verse, Uh, Don't expect yourself on your own uh, to just have this flash from heaven. Turn to the teacher that gave us scripture through whom the Holy Spirit guided us to receive this wonderful word. And of course, that's the church. Thank you again for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Again, this is brought to you by the Coming Home Network. If you'd like to find more about our work, go to chnetwork.org. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at chnetwork. And I look forward to joining you again next week on Deep in Scripture. God bless.